Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-Pack and 50% off a Caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale, in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is another one of the Division Encapsulation episodes. This one is on the Central Division, and our two guests are Nate Duncan of Basketball Insiders and Dan Feldman of Piston Power, who I'm excited to have on for the first time. We start out going through the offseason that was, talking about each of the teams, who got better, who got worse, everything of that nature, transactions, some interesting discussion on Greg Monroe and his future with the Pistons. And then we get into a season preview, talking about how the teams are going to shake out, who's in what place, and of course we hit every team in some depth. I really liked our conversation in particular on the Cavs and the Pacers. I think we did a good job really going through that, and it was a pleasure having them on. Conversation runs a little under 40 minutes. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you guys both so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, good to be here, man. So we'll start with the off-season review, and... I guess we'll start a little bit with Nate. I wanted to know what teams you thought in the in the Central Division got better and which teams you think got worse. Uh, well, Detroit certainly did, just from a coaching perspective. I think Dan obviously is our Detroit expert, but I think Stan Van Gundy, non-Cleveland division, Stan Van Gundy, my most important addition to uh, the division. Well, I guess Jabari Parker is pretty important too, but he was certainly really important, how we'll put it that way and not rank it. I was actually going back and forth before we started about who was more important of an addition, Pau Gasol or Stan Van Gundy. I think it's everybody knows everybody's talking about how big Pau could be for the Bulls, maybe even pushing them ahead of Cleveland. Some people think I don't, but there's at least that discussion. But I think that says something about how important Van Gundy is that he's on that level. Yeah, I guess the the question is, is GMing going to counteract his awesome coaching, which which over time will actually uh, have a greater effect in the uh, positive or negative direction? It's a good question. I, I think it's worrying how things are playing out with Doc Rivers and his GMing and how that's going. The reason I was really behind the Pistons hiring Van Gundy is that there's no great general manager on the market, or there wasn't when, when they were looking. So you can get somebody who's a provenly good coach and an unknown as a GM when you're probably going to be hiring an unknown as a GM anyway. Yeah, I think that's actually, that's a good point. And yeah, I mean, what general managers would you consider proven guys? Because the Pistons had that. Was there any, was there anybody that wasn't on the market that other than let's say RC, because that's, I think that's a pretty much a given who you would say, oh, that would have been worth it to sacrifice a better coach for. I mean, I'd put more stock into a GM in part because the GM's job usually is to hire a coach. So a good GM is going to hire a good coach. That's part of his job. That's part of what makes him a good GM. So I, I wouldn't have been against making a big run, throwing money at 
some of the guys like Masai Ujiri or, or Sam Presti or Buford, like you mentioned, but you're not going to get those guys. It's not, it's not my money I'm spending right now. I don't blame the Pistons for not spending what it takes to get those guys. That was going to be next to impossible. So I think going the, the other route, getting somebody who, who I think was the best coach available is, is the best way to handle it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think he's he's going to make a big difference. I would feel better about the Pistons' chances if they had sorted out the Monroe thing. I think, actually, for me, their best lineup would be if they could have gotten rid of Monroe and gotten something decent for him. And I think Josh Smith still could be a very effective player at the four, and if Stan can coach up Andre Drummond a little bit on the defense, that they could make some real strides defensively, if Josh Smith is still going to be at the three and Monroe at the four and Drummond at the five, I think they're going to have some real problems making the sort of lead that we think might be possible. So that's, that still has to get straightened out, I think, before Van Gundy's coaching chops can really make a great effect on their fortune. I think Van Gundy knows he can't play that three-big lineup anymore. I mean, he's He's come as close to saying that he'll never do that if he can get. He said it didn't really work. He said, you know, he doesn't really plan on doing it, but he hasn't come out and out and said it. I think that's just partially as a respect to people who were in Detroit before and did it, and he doesn't want to just come out and say, hey, you guys were as wrong as, as everybody knew you were. But I think it's going to lead to another coaching challenge for him, which is either managing the ego of Greg Monroe or managing the ego of Josh Smith, because if you're not playing all three together, one of those guys is coming off the bench. So Dan, do you think he's going to, he's actually going to follow through and take the qualifying offer? Or do you think something gets done? That's a good question. I, I do think it's important that he said he's going to take the qualifying offer or that's been put out there, but he hasn't actually signed it yet. And there's no reason to until you get to the deadline. I think something's going to get done, but I'm really, I'm really 50-50 on that. It, I really could see that going either way. Yeah, I think if Josh Smith weren't there, that yeah, I think it, it's likely that something could, could get done. And I still, and I also think the fact that he is, you know, all of the reporting has been, well, he's planning to take the qualifying offer. Oh wait, no, now he's really planning to take the qualifying <laughs> offer. Like, you know, it's obviously like there's definitely some posturing there involved, and you know the risk of someone, especially, you know, he wasn't like the number one pick where he has like a ton of money already. You know, he's not quite in like the set for life category yet. So locking down uh, what would presumably be an eight-figure-a-year contract is pretty big, even if it's not quite what he wanted. But on the other hand, I mean, I think he has some pretty legitimate reasons for being unhappy there, uh, you know, starting with Josh Smith, starting with the fit issues. So, you know, maybe if that doesn't get worked out, maybe that's what pushes him over the edge towards doing the qualifying offer. Uh, but I, I, I think my ultimate prediction would be that something does get done. But, you know, I think it's a close call. It's interesting as far as the fit, because that could push him toward the qualifying offer. But I really think that should maybe push him toward taking a long-term deal. Because I don't think Josh Smith is long for Detroit, even if he's going to stay there this season or to start this season. Because all three of them can't play together, and because Monroe and Drummond are closer in age, I really just don't see Josh Smith as this great long-term fit. So I think that would get sorted out over the course of a long-term contract. And if you're Monroe, knowing that you're going to have to play with him for at least part of this season, is that really the year you want to have going into free agency again when you're a year older 
and maybe the interest isn't quite as high, and obviously it wasn't as high as he expected or wanted this summer. If we assume that Drummond is a given, and I think that's fair to say, do you think that Monroe makes sense as the second or even the third big man in a rotation with Drummond long-term? Yeah, I do. I don't think they're perfect matches, and I wouldn't be opposed to trading Monroe down the road. But I definitely wouldn't give him away now just to, to placate Josh Smith or to, to set up your lineup in any way to make it better in the short term. I think in a few years, Drummond can be excellent, especially with co- with coaching by Van Gundy. You know, He could be the best center in the league as soon as this year. When you have a player like that, I think you have to think in terms of championship. I'm not really worried about whether the Pistons are slightly better this year or not. You know, exactly how Drummond and Smith and Monroe fit this year. To me, the bigger concern is how can you position this team to win a championship with Drummond three or four years from now? And I think that's definitely with Monroe over Smith. I think actually, if you're trying to position the team to win a championship three or four years from now, I don't think you keep either of those guys on the roster. To me, the biggest argument for signing Monroe is the whole don't lose him for nothing. Uh, but I think just his fit issues are so difficult, and Drummond is someone who's never, ever going to have any kind of shooting range. So, especially with Monroe, he's really a power forward defensively, but he operates more like a center on offense. I mean, you need someone next to him who's going to have some shooting range and hopefully can also protect the rim, not that there are really a ton of those guys out there. But if you have a guy with no range in Drummond, uh, I think Monroe ultimately has to go for this team to reach its full potential. I really think Drummond and Monroe can work together as long as there are three shooters on the perimeter around them. And it's a real shame we have such a limited sample to assess that. You know, two years ago, Lawrence Frank really blew it by refusing to play Monroe and Drummond together. Last year, Josh Smith got in the way. We should know better how this would work. We shouldn't be guessing so much about two players who, who, like I said, I really think could be Maybe not the two best players on a championship team, but Monroe, I think, could be a, a real key piece on the title team if everything breaks right. I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying if you're trying to, to build for the future, you have to you have to hope you get those lucky breaks and everything works out right. But we don't really know. They haven't played together enough. But I, I would say the sample we got last year without Josh Smith, when it was just Monroe and Drummond, was mostly positive. Well, I'm sure this is what everyone for – the Central Division podcast tuned in for is to hear us discuss uh, <laughs> the powerhouse Detroit Pistons. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll move on to what you guys each think is the best transaction other than LeBron James, because I think we would both think that getting him for nothing is, is the best transaction. So other than that. I think the best transaction other than that was Cleveland getting Kevin Love. When you're a team that's in position <laughs> to win a title – and you can do something to get closer to that goal, I think that's when you do it. I like Andrew Wiggins. I like his upside. But this wasn't the time to bank on upside. This is the time to, to make sure that your team is as good as possible right now, and that's what Cleveland did. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Should we discuss what the third best transaction was? Maybe that'll be <laughs> you know, a little Sure, a that's little probably, that'd be fair. That's a tougher um, question. Uh, I mean, drafting Jabari has got to be up there. I think I think for me, I don't know what, what you guys think of his ultimate – potential outcome, but I, I think he's someone who can be, you know, about what Carmelo Anthony has ended up being, except maybe with a little more size to be a four. It sounds like they're going to be playing him at the four, so I think he can be a real offense, offensive force there. My other 
thought would be Nikola Mirotic for the Bulls, just because I think he is going to be a real, real good player, not this year, then in the next two years, and they got him for mid-level money. I think he's going to significantly outplay that. It's just a question of how much he's actually going to be on the court. But, I mean, I think he can be pretty much any everything that Ryan Anderson uh, is and maybe even a little more than that offensively, if not necessarily on the boards. You really think signing Marotis is bigger than signing Gasol? Oh, big time. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think I was even a little – when I at first I was like, why are they signing Gasol when they have Miritic? He can be a great third big man. But then you know I looked through and really there aren't wasn't really another option for that seven million that was any better than Gasol. But I think yeah I, I don't think Gasol really is is going to help that much. And frankly, especially because he's just not good enough defensively to play power forward anymore. And so I think I'm going to find myself very annoyed if the closing lineup is Gasol and Noah instead of Gibson and Noah as time goes on uh, as a Chicagoan. I'm really curious, and maybe this is splitting hairs, but when you say signing Marotic is, is bigger, are you including the whole transaction of drafting him before and, and keeping him, or are you saying even just the signing itself is bigger? Well, I'm, I'm saying simply the fact that they added him on a contract that is basically the mid-level for three years. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And this leads into the next question of what rookie, and this is we're going to use most excited to see, not who's the best. So what rookie are you most excited to see in the Central Division play in the NBA? Oh, probably. I think actually uh, probably McDermott, to be honest, because it's just he is really has a lot of factors working at kind of cross purposes to see whether he's going to be effective. You know, he obviously was ridiculously efficient in summer league. He was ridiculously ridiculously efficient all throughout his career at Creighton. But he also had this unprecedentedly low number of blocks and steals. And so the statistical translations were not as high on him. Certainly from a scouting perspective, just watching him, I think he's someone who can be a very effective offensive player and, and beyond simply being a shooter. And he's an amazing shooter. But then, you know, you also have this statistical evidence that he may not be that good. So I'm very curious to see what side of the ledger that ends up coming down on. For me, it's Damian Rudez and Shane Whittington, because I'm really curious what the Pacers saw in those two to the point where they were squeezing out the money they could have offered Lance Stevenson, who was basically irreplaceable the way their, their cap was set up. It was either keep him or not. There was no alternative. There was no second option. And it won't matter as much next year with Paul George out because expectations are much lower. But in the long run, I, I really think they're going to miss Stevenson. So I want to know if, if there was something about these two guys where you had to have them, even if it lowered your chances of keeping Lance. I hadn't really thought about those two, but that definitely makes sense for me. It might be cheating considering he's the number two pick, but I'm really excited to see how Jabari does in the NBA. I think watching him more you know, recently getting into the draft and I'm watching him a little bit and other stuff since, not just catching up. I, I think his game could translate really well to the NBA, and I'm excited to see if that if that can work. And as Nate said earlier, I'm very excited to see not only how he plays at the four, because how he works with Giannis and Larry Sanders could be fascinating, because if they can get those three pieces set, then that makes it a lot easier, considering they're still going to be pretty rough this year, to get the last two positions filled. Yeah, I'm well, right, so with, a lot of interesting young talent in Milwaukee. 
are they going to be any good this year? What do you guys think? I, I think like I, I was listening to another podcast. I was talking about their over under being like 20 and a half. Do you think they beat that or, or, and could actually be a respectable team or are they going to be pretty bad? You know, I think they're the only team in the division that we were talking about which teams got better, which got worse. You know, I think the Pistons clearly got better. The Cavs clearly got better. The Bulls clearly got better. The Pacers clearly got worse. And I could see Milwaukee really going either way. I think the best thing working in their favor is just regression to the mean, that they weren't quite as bad as it seemed last year. They shouldn't have lost quite so many games. I don't think they're good, but I think they're just going to slope toward the mean and be a little bit better just because of that. Yeah, I think they'll be above 20. 20 seems low because they last season, kind of in a way like the Cavs, it was the worst thing that could have happened. And so if you think about that, I think they were better than a, probably about a 20-win team last year, maybe a little bit better than that, but that, like if they, if they hadn't imploded. So I think they'll be better. I also think Jason Kidd could be a good coach for them, and I'm excited to see how that's going to work. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on what Larry Sanders becomes, uh, if he can get back to anywhere near. 2012-13, they're going to need that because otherwise they're going to have no chance of stopping anybody. Uh, with Jabari at the four, he's going to be awful as the four to start out. And Giannis, although he has a lot of physical tools, I'm not sure that he's there yet from an intensity or mental perspective like you know pretty much any 20-year-old who's ever played basketball in the NBA. So I, I think that if Sanders can be what he was before, they might be able to call together a semi-decent defense and then be you know okay up to like 30 wins if he's you know he they get from him what they got last year then their defense is going to be like a bottom five unit and then you know they could be right around that 20 win area we haven't talked much about how the Cavs are going to actually work but so they've added all these pieces that are more in the forward range and we don't know if they're going to get Ray Allen I think that as far as I know that hasn't been announced yet how do you think that their forward pieces are going to fit together especially since their rim protection is still somewhat lacking I think talent is going to make up for the fit issues I mean I think LeBron and Kevin Love are just that good where where they can make it work they can overcome the fact that but the team around them is not a perfect fit. It's not yeah, really yeah. something that, that I'm too concerned with. Yeah, I, I think that's right. They're almost going to be, you know, in some ways, they remind me a little bit of the 2012 Olympic team where they just had so much talent offensively and so many good players that the big concerns on defense maybe just don't add up to that much now. And the other thing, too, you know, they were talking about maybe getting Mozgov somehow. I'm not sure what the package is supposed to be he would actually be an awesome fit for them I think he's someone who's who's underrated and he's on a a cheap contract I don't know what Denver would be willing to give him up for but even someone who's sort of an average center who's not just like a total stiff if they could make a deal for him and that would really up their chances but I, I think even so like they're the clear favorite in this division clear favorite in the east I think they're going to have a historically good offense unless they run into any injury problems yeah, I'm with you on yeah. that. I, I think their offense will, will take care of everything else. What do you think is their best lineup right now? If you're if you're closing a game with the Cavs right now, what what is your lineup? That's a good question. I mean, I obviously you're going to have Love, LeBron, and Kyrie, and I would have Virgil out there, and then I think you can sort of play it to matchups whether whether you want Mike Miller to space the floor a little bit more, or you want Marion to defend and obviously those are bigger lineups 
But, I, you know, I think you can put waiters out there at times. Honestly, if you're trying to make everything fit, I really like Della Vadova as somebody who's just going to be that blue guy, do a couple little things, won't overextend. And if you're trying not to be too big, trying to stay somewhat fast, he's my guy for the fifth spot. What do you think of just going with Love at the five and LeBron at the, at the four and just being completely unstoppable? offensively, you know, something that would kind of be along the lines of that Miami closing unit that we saw in the, in the last couple of years that was, you know, pretty much impossible to defend. What do you what do you think of that? Well, who are you going to have at the two and three, Marion and Miller? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you might, yeah, you could go Waiters Miller, you could go Marion Miller, you know, you could put Del Vadova for a second point guard, although there's with LeBron and, and Kyrie, you probably don't really need someone who can handle the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I think you, you would, between Marion Miller and, and Waiters, probably. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it could work in stretches. The problem is I think it puts too much of a burden on LeBron physically inside. I don't think he wants to do that over the long run. Maybe Kevin Love would, but again, he'd have the same issue of if he's the guy at the back line of defense or LeBron as they're taking the pounding in the paint. So I, I think it works in spots, but I, I don't think it's something either one would be comfortable with long term. Yeah, it all really depends if they, unless they acquire another center. You know, so much depends on Barajao as kind of the linchpin of the defense. I think he's like 31, 32 now. Is he someone who is going to be able to be the player that he was three, four years ago? Is he going to stay healthy? What kind of energy does he have? Is he going to get worn down at the end of games? If he can be really effective, then I think you're you're right that your closing lineup has got to be Love Barajao in, in the front court. But if he's not quite as effective, then you run into some different things. I do think you're right, though, that LeBron is not particularly interested in, in being the four, like most wing guys, frankly. And the fact that he's made such an effort to slim down over the summer might portend that as well. Well, it's interesting is a lot of guys as they age are comfortable sort of sliding down a slot, playing slower, being stronger. But LeBron is obviously going the exact opposite way. He's slimming down and has no interest. I, I wonder if there'll be a point in his career where he is cool with that, where that is the way he wants to go. It's obviously not right now. But I, I'm curious whether he'll get there or whether he wants to stay at three until he retires. I think that it's also facilitated a little bit by the growth of the stretch four, that you're, there are certain teams out there now that you don't have to, if you're a power forward, you're not banging in the same way when you're playing defense. And I think that could help him adjust to that in spots. So maybe you go in that direction, but I think he'll eventually have to get there because it'll, even though he's remarkably fast and remarkably athletic, father time will eventually make it so that power forward is his natural position. And he, the nice thing about LeBron is that he has the body to become that when he needs to, I think he just wants to avoid that until he has to do it. To your first point though, I think when you're playing LeBron and love, or if you're playing LeBron and love as your power forward and center, it almost makes more sense to make LeBron the defensive five, the guy who's protecting the rim. So it would be hard for him to avoid that pounding. Sure, you could have Love do it, but I really think that would be pretty ineffective. Yeah, well, although you, you maybe want Love to be closer to the rim for defensive rebounding purposes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think sure. obviously that that's a lineup that would really struggle to protect the basket. I think a lot of it depends on matchups, too, if you're playing against a team that has some guys who really like to get to the rim, then maybe that lineup doesn't work. But, you know, if if they don't really have athletic slashers, then you can roll with uh, that amazing offensive lineup, which would be completely unstoppable. I think we all agree with that, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, and imagine if they get Ray Allen. I mean, if they get Ray Allen, so then they can play that. You, you, I, it's just going to be ridiculous. We might as well give them the championship right now, right? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm still. The other thing too is you just wonder about you know what effect Blatt's coaching is going to have on on it. You know, certainly he is someone who has cobbled together some pretty decent defenses, especially on the Russian national team. Although his Maccabi teams usually were a little better on offense than defense, which a lot of people don't realize. But yeah, I mean, whether he can kind of cobble together some some junk, I mean, there's certainly we have seen guys who were not great defenders become so due to coaching or due to culture or or whatever else. So you know, maybe maybe he can get this team to being you know the tenth best defense, and and it, if they can can get into that range, then you know we could be looking at a really really unstoppable team that would be a massive championship favorite right now i think whoever comes out of the west it would be a a pretty a toss-up for me between them and cleveland the beauty of it defensively is that everybody knows cleveland is going to make the playoffs they're going to get a high seed in the east they might not cruise to the finals but they're they're going to be in good shape all the way so it gives them time to learn blast defense to feel each other out to get there they they don't have to worry about losing a couple games early and dropping position they'll be fine in the long run so they can take their time with it. And you also have two guys in Kyrie and Kevin Love that in NBA play haven't had the same incentive structure to play good defense. I think that they're going to have a system, or if you want to call it a culture in place, that they're going to understand that while they're still going to have their bread buttered on offense, that they need to reach a level. And I think Love was already there. I think his defense is a little bit underrated. But Kyrie can get a lot better than he was with his physical tools. And that would be a huge help because if he can improve in that way, then that elevates the floor of this team to me substantially. That's an excellent point. So we'll move on to the season preview part, though. Obviously, we've been talking about that with Cleveland. And we'll start out with Nate. I want you to rank the five teams in this division one to five. Cleveland one, Chicago two. That's pretty obvious. I think the real struggle, and Milwaukee is pretty clearly last. The real struggle is whether you're going to say the Pistons or Pacers are going to be better. I think I'll go with the Pistons. I I believe in, in Van Gundy. I think KCP is someone who could be a lot better. I mean, really... You know, Dan knows this, that they just had such an open sore at the two guard last year. You know, so if he can become something or even if they get the shooting from Meeks, Brandon Jennings could certainly play a lot better than he played last year. Josh Smith could play better. I mean, I think you look at the guys on their team and there's no one who you say really is going to be worse than they were last year, maybe because in a lot of cases that would be quite difficult. And especially when you consider that Van Gundy is coaching them, they had, what, 31 wins last year. I think that even low 40s would be very realistic for them. And then the other question is, what do you think of the Pacers? Paul George, you know, they lost their best offensive and probably second-best defensive player, maybe even best. And they were a team that really had floundered down the stretch last year anyway. Then they lost Lance Stevenson. I mean, is this a team that scenario one is they keep it together on D, you know, and stay in the top five, and then, you know, the offense – can stay around 20 or you know they collapse on both ends and really you know are down about a 35 win team or so I think that the latter scenario is a little bit more likely to me especially when you consider that David West who is now by far their best offensive player is getting older and and I don't think it's the type of guy who really can be a primary option at this point. I think I agree 100% with everything you just said. I, I think, That's not that uh, I think much really. 
<laughs> I, I think one thing that could be interesting about the Pacers, though, is sort of the opposite of what Danny was talking about with Kyrie Irving, where he knows expectations are on him, he has to defend now, where really expectations are off them. And maybe that's good for a guy like Roy Hibbert, who I, who I think can be better than he's been offensively and maybe even defensively, too. He, I don't think the Pacers getting off to that fast start and drawing all that national attention adversely affected anybody more than, than Hibbert. He just he did not seem to handle that spotlight well. So with, with maybe attention off him a little bit, but at the same time, there's going to be more pressure on him internally to do something because they don't have Stevens and they don't have George. So those could really – I'm interested to see how all those forces coming at him affect his game. and Maybe – Maybe that could push him to make the Pacers a little bit ahead of the Pistons. But I, I think right now I would take Detroit. Yeah, and the other factor with Indiana is, as we've talked about a little bit in terms of the Lance Stevenson thing, their salary structure is a little bit screwed up. And I wouldn't be surprised if they took the opportunity, should one of the members that is healthy and tradable of their group, if they determine that that's not a key part of their long-term future, to try to move somebody to – to make their prime more logical, I could totally see a move like that, which would probably make them worse in the short term. If that, that might be moving Hibbert, that might be moving David West, just realizing that he's a little bit too far out for them. I don't know exactly what it would be, but I could see that. Whereas I don't see Detroit making any move substantially that makes them a lot worse right now. Oh, you're, you're yeah, absolutely think, right. Like what, they, what they should be doing. That's what they should be doing. They like, they need to get rid of David West post haste, not because he's not a good player, but, a because you're not never going to get more from him than you are right now because I mean he's making about 12 million a year. If you're a team that's trading for him, you want him for all year. You want him for that first year of that 12 million a year that remains on his two-year contract. That is where he's likely to be the best. I mean, he's at the age where he's going to significantly decline now. And so, so yeah, I mean, you you and really also the other thing is this is kind of a nice you can quote-unquote opportunity to get into the lottery again and add a piece to a team that has actually some decent guys in Hibbert and uh, Paul George, you know. And then I guess the other question, too, is is Hibbert going to opt out at the end of this year? That is another great unknown. Say the T-word. Don't don't dance around. Say it. They should tank. (laughs) (laughs) This is the perfect opportunity. uh, They They should what? I said that they they should rebuild. I mean, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because they're at the point they're not winning the championship this year. So yeah, see, I mean, you could probably you would think get a first round pick. Although I haven't gone through the exercise of looking at who might really benefit from David West. Maybe someone like Houston would, a team that needs someone at the four. I, I guess the other question too is that David West would actually like just start shooting threes, which I have no idea why he hasn't yet, and he did a little bit in the playoffs last year, which kind of warmed my heart. Like he could, he could really extend his usefulness quite a bit if he were to start doing that. What about David West on the Raptors, a team that wants to win in the short term that has the pieces? Obviously, they wouldn't move Jonas in the trade, but I think that would be an interesting place for him to go. Is he that much better than Amir Johnson? I, I just think Amir defensively, the way he sets screens, is a really good good fit there. I love David West. I think he's excellent, but he's getting older. I'm really not convinced he's going to be better than Amir Johnson this year. I actually don't love David West quite as much as as everyone else seems to. I mean, putting aside the whole cultural aspect, given the dysfunction that they had last year, I'm not sure that you can say that he's some – whether he's a good influence on the culture or not, it's obviously not enough to avoid 
the type of cultural implosion that they had last year. And, you know, he's someone who has never been a dominant post-up player. He takes a lot of long twos. So there's a ceiling on how good a guy like that can be. He's certainly an above-average defender at the powered forward position, which is nice. But I don't think that he is – he's been a little bit overrated these last couple of years to me in – Indiana, and you know, if you just look at how good their offense has been these last couple of years, if he was really that great, wouldn't they be a little bit better of an offensive team than they have been? Yeah, maybe not with George Hill as their point guard, because I think that's just rough. But But we'll have to move on quickly. I know we're running low on time. I'll start with Nate on this. How many teams do you think from this division make the playoffs? Well, uh, Chicago and Cleveland are obvious. I think the more the more I think about it, I'm, I'm going to have the Pacers missing the playoffs. I don't think that the bottom of the East is going to be as bad this year. I think the Pistons have a, about a 50% chance. I, I think I would predict them to be right around 38 to 41, 42 wins, and it's really more of a question of the, people, the teams around them where they are at. But, yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of teams assuming that there's a little better health that could get up to the 41-42 win range. So I think I expect that the eighth seed is not going to be as miserable of a record as the eighth seed was last year. So I'd give the the Pistons about a 50% chance. It all, again, goes down to what Van Gundy can do as a coach. Again, I I hate to give the boring answer, but I I agree 100%. I think think the Pacers are probably out, and the Pistons are right on that fence. Maybe a team like Brooklyn – those are a couple, you know, maybe it's Miami. I think Miami will be a little better than that, but I'm not totally convinced that they're just not going to take a big tumble. So I, I really think the Pistons are right, right there on the edge, and, and they'll be up to, to Lionel Hollins and Brooklyn. That's Those are the main two teams I see fighting it out for that last spot. I have it a little bit higher on this logic. I think that the, the Cavs and Bulls are in barring catastrophe. And so then if you think about it, then there are six other spots that need to be in. And then you have the, I, the Pistons are in that mix. But so the logic would be that I think they're eighth or ninth in talent is that the odds are that one team of those six will fall out due to injury. So I think it's a little bit higher. You know, I'd put it probably around two out of three, but that's really not that much. But it'll be exciting just to see the bottom of the East because these teams aren't terrible. They're not as good as the bottom of the, bottom of the playoff picture in the West, but they're not bad. No, they're not. There's, there's going to be, I think, about 10 solid teams in the East, which is progress. So we'll end this on what players do you think will break out? And what I just find that is, is meaning they'll jump a level in terms of either success or fame or both, ideally, that will be at a different level when we're doing this a year from now than they are presently. Well, two stand mm-hmm. out to me. One is, is something we already talked about a little bit, Contavious Caldwell Pope, I think. Defensively uh, and, offensively, <laughs> and offensively, he, he could be an excellent fit for Stan Van Gundy. The Pistons need a shooting guard. He showed plenty of promise last year. The Pistons just kept using him in the worst ways imaginable with Maurice Cheeks and John Lawyer. So I definitely think there's potential for him. And the other guy I'd give is John Henson, who I think has quietly really emerged as a pretty good, good player. And it sounds like Jason Kidd has interesting plans for him. I don't know if it'll work out well playing him at center. But it could create some mismatches, and I, I think Henson will start to put up some bigger numbers, get some more recognition. Whether he's actually better, I don't know. But even if he starts to get the recognition he deserves right now, that would be progress. Yeah, you know, there's not a ton of unknown players on the good teams in this division. Anyone who's on the Bulls is probably like 
overknown. Maybe we can start saying overknown instead of overrated <laughs> as, as a phrase. And same thing with Cleveland. There's really no one's going to break out and become more famous on, on Cleveland than they already have. And then the Pacers don't really have a great candidate because there's no one, no one young enough or good enough on, on their team. Certainly, um, Giannis is a potential one for the Bucks. I, I think you know among the hardcore basketball fans, he's someone who's pretty well known and maybe even a little overrated based on you know what he actually did statistically last year. But I think you know with the way he's continued to grow into his body, get stronger, get more athletic, he's going to become a staple on the highlights, uh, especially when he's getting a lot of minutes. If Jason Kidd really follows through on this whole making him the point guard thing, which I think actually probably isn't really going to last for very long, but you know if he does, that could be a story. So he would probably be my number one choice there. Obvious though that is. I think the I, other two that are already known in basketball circles now, but among the more casuals would be Miritich and Drummond. I think that they're going to jump a level, not with the hardcore fans, because I think hardcore fans already have an idea, but they'll, with the more casual, the people that are focusing on Sports Center and the playoffs, I think that those guys will jump in, in stature with those people. Yeah, I don't think Miritich is going to play enough. I think he's going to play like 15 minutes, and I'm going to bang my head against the wall. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely on board with, with Drummond, and, and I just want to say how much I agree on, on Giannis. I think there's no player among hardcore basketball fans who's more overrated because it started off as, oh, look at all his potential. Look at the moves he's making. You can see him doing a little bit of everything. He's so athletic, and look how tall and long he is, and it's wonderful, and that's all true. But somehow that got shifted into, wow, he's really good, and he's not good yet. I think he'll get there, and maybe as soon as this year. But he has a ways to catch up before his his reputation matches his production. Yeah, I mean, I think he had like a negative four usage rate or something last year. I mean, I, I would like to see him <laughs> see him really be able to make more plays with the ball in his hands before we're really going to anoint him. And and it was it was nice to see him be a lot more aggressive in summer league as a a first step to that. But you know, we're gonna need to see that in the NBA to really know whether, you know, he's going to sort of be one of these jack of all trades guys or whether he's someone who really can be the focal point of an offense. So I'm looking forward to seeing that this year. Certainly hope that it's the latter, but we, uh, you know, we haven't seen it yet. Now, of course, maybe I'm being too hard on him because he's still pretty young. He's only 19 essentially, but you know, it, like you said, it, he has not proven anything yet. Yeah, as the sponsor of his basketball reference page, I certainly hope that he becomes more than than that. But it's the the idea. I think Dan made a great point that he he within the basketball community has become kind of more famous than and it has transitioned into him being good. And at this point, he feels more like a really fun complimentary player. And I think these the people that I've you every once in a while you hear about him is like this key building block. And what I try to think about with him is what does he do super well that you can build a team around. He fits in a lot of places, but still need to work on that. Thank you guys both so much for, for taking the time to come on. Yeah, thanks for doing it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. Uh, let, let's do it again. Thanks again, Danny. Thanks again to both Dan and Nate for taking the time to come on. You can read Dan at PistonPowered.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at PistonPowered. That's P-I-S-T-O-N-P-O-W-E-R-E-D. And you can follow Nate Duncan on Twitter at NateDuncanNBA, and you can read him at the Basketball Insiders. It's a great site. I really enjoy it. Both sites obviously are. And it was a pleasure having them on. I really have enjoyed so far doing these Division ones. One thing that 
I didn't get into because of time constraints on the Pacers is I have this strange feeling that there's a parallel here between them and the Spurs the year that the Spurs ended up tanking to get Tim Duncan. I think that the Pacers have a huge incentive to get their house in order and sacrifice a little bit in the short term if they can move the right pieces and do that and really load up because Paul George and Hibbert I think are their core and to really build around that and Vogel's a great coach they already have that structure in place so the urgency that they played with last year if they wanted to go in a very different direction they could I don't think they will but that's what they could do it was a lot of fun doing this the other four will be coming up I would love for them to be in quick succession as well. They probably won't be because it's really about when you can get two other people in the same room at the same time, or in the same room remotely. And so we'll see how that goes. I will also have other podcasts strewn throughout this, more of the general comments. I already have some discussions with some people about how I want those to go. As always, if you want to add comments or anything like that I will always read it and respond my email is daniel.larue at realgm.com my twitter is at Larue. that's d-a-n-n-y l-e-r-o-u-x I've gotten some great insight recently really appreciate it helps make the show better also if you have ideas for topics or for guests please let me know and please let them know because that is one way to make the show better that has happened in the past and I appreciate it. While we've been going for about a year now, there are still people you know, that haven't been on or haven't heard about it, so it's always good to get that momentum in a positive direction. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen, take care, and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.